Blog Talk Radio. Right into this world, all alone. Gotta take your soul, you're on your own. A crow flies straight, a perfect line. Welcome to Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Wednesday, February 5th. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh-In Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Thank you, Michelle, for the intro, and welcome, everyone, to Weigh In Sports Talk. We are live at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm starting to like the new time we've been having at 8.30. It allows us to cover a lot. And us being on the East Coast over here, it's, you know, it's hard to get off air at 11 o'clock. So hopefully you guys like this new format. And, you know, honestly, we've been doing radio for a couple of years now, and this is my most favorite time of the year, honestly, is once – all the dust settles, then we get to start going through the March Madness, the NBA, and previewing the next upcoming football season. But, Trey, I uh, hope you're having a great day, man. Thanks for joining us. What's going on? What's happening, brother? You know what's going on. It's National Signing Day. It's Christmas in February for those of us who love college football. Uh, so it's an exciting day, man. It's very interesting. There's still two commits. We were having, you know, parent drama. I mean, so it's just uh, it's been an interesting day. Certainly not as crazy with flips as last year, but, you know, something to watch for. Signing day was the day? Oh, my God. <laughs> a new flash. Hey. Yeah, I, I can't believe I missed it, man. Nah, but it was a it – was, you're right. There was It was a great day, but if you look at the fluctuations, you go to 247sports.com and you look at the fluctuations, nobody really went up or down more than – Two places except, you know, well, Southern Cal. I don't know what happened yeah, with them. Yeah. They, they, they go up to, what do they go up, 13, 15 places? They go from 26th mm-hmm. to 11th in one day. That's not too bad, Trey. No, and they really had a great day. But one of their kids is at the center of all the drama. So, I mean, right now we'll see what happens with Adore Jackson, uh, who's has not signed his uh, letter of intent, Tarvin. His parents do not want him to go to USC. Uh, they want him to go to LSU, who has number two class. So, uh, you know, you never know what can happen. You know, Michigan State and Ohio State seem to uh, be at the center of another kid. Uh, so we'll have to see, Tarvin. I mean, this, this is, you know, USC's had a crazy day uh, recruiting-wise, and they've been the beneficiary of a lot of it. Uh, so we'll see if anything happens with, uh, you know, Jackson today or tomorrow or well, we're days. Well, we're going to dive into recruiting in just a few moments. And just to let everybody know, Tennessee assistant coach Derek Lett is going to join us in 30 minutes. He's going to discuss this Tennessee volunteer recruiting class trade, which, wow, you look at the numbers they have, 16 four-stars, 17 three. What a great recruiting class by the Tennessee volunteers in the SEC. It's bad you finished seventh in the nation in recruiting. And what are you, fifth in the conference? I mean, that says a lot about this conference they're in, but, but hats off to Tennessee. I'm, I'm interested to hear Coach Lett's comments about these recruits now that he can officially talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, they had an incredible day there. You know, again, and I, uh, you will, we'll have all all three major, um, you know, major uh, you know, recruiting and analyst uh, websites up at the same time. We'll talk about the differences. Tennessee is, you know, as high as number five in some of them, Tarvin. So that tells you how good uh, that this this you know this this coaching staff has really done. I mean, to to bring in, uh, you know, based on just wins and losses from last year, to bring in that kind of talent this year. Uh, you know, number seven, twenty-four-seven. They're number five in rivals. So, I mean, you, you, this is an incredible, incredible job that staff did. Yeah, you have to have numbers to win in college football in the SEC. Tennessee is is laying the foundation. This is his second. This is really his first full season of recruiting. And wow, if it's any sign of what's going to come in the next few years, Trey, I'm, I'm getting worried about Tennessee, but. I'm very excited Coach Lett's going to come in. Cuervo's a big Tennessee fan. He's listening. Bruce Coward, big Tennessee ball. He's going to be listening to Coach Lett. And, Trey, I'll let you talk about Florida State in a few minutes. I'll talk about Auburn and the rest of the SEC. But let's start off with Sunday night, what happened. In the Super Bowl, you, you picked Seattle. You were one of the few people that I know picked Seattle, actually, to win this game. But did you ever see this coming, this kind of score? What happened? to the Denver Broncos uh, trade. They put up eight points. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest. In my best prediction that I – I mean, I, I could have predicted um, an ugly game and it wasn't on the out the outside of possibility that Seattle would, would, would have a really good performance. Uh, but to me, I thought a good performance would be, you know, a, a something like a 28-14 to 14 type of game. I, I never imagined, you know, 43-8. to eight. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you, you noticed in this game was um, the Seattle secondary jumping the routes, really playing aggressive hand-check defense on the receivers uh, and forcing a lot of mistakes from the Denver offense. And that really sort of crippled them, Tarvin. And I think, you know, one of my, uh, one of my friends who's a big Denver Bronco fan, a Peyton Manning fan, uh, said that they saw from the immediate – out, you know, sort of outset of the, the football game, that Peyton Manning didn't have the focus that they were used to seeing on the sidelines. Normally, he was looking at pictures from up above. You know, looking at the you know what um, what defenses you know they were in before. He said Peyton just on the sideline was just sitting there, sort of a blank look on his face, and it, they just didn't seem to be focused for this game. Well, Trey, I think it just went south. The first play of the game where they snapped it, the center snaps it over Peyton Manning's head for a safety. After that, it's just Seattle just kept going and going, and Denver had chances holding the two field goals after that safety, but they could never get the ball moving. And and I think you're right. Seattle came to, to – they just outmanned, out physical the receivers of Denver, and the offensive line could not block. I mean, that surprised me a little bit. I thought Denver would be able to hold up on the offensive line better but looking at Peyton Manning's legacy right now, if, if he had won that game, people are saying he could have gone down as the best of all time. But losing that game, Trey, does that really hurt his his legacy? Really, just one game? Well, I mean, it, I think it, it, it's a, a consideration now. And when we talk about Peyton Manning's legacy, um, you know, I like to you know, I, one of the best examples I heard of this was was Mike Golick from ESPN, and he said. Yeah, you know, we're not talking about Peyton Manning as if he's not in the Hall of Fame. So we'll start with that. So when you're talking about his legacy, you're talking about how Peyton Manning stacks up against the best quarterbacks who've ever played the game, and that's the folks who are already in Canton and who are going to be in Canton. 
Uh, but when you start racking and stacking him against those players, uh, you know, the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, it does matter. And so we're not talking about whether whether or not, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, his legacy against guys who are playing against him right now. I mean, other than Tom Brady, uh, there's not a lot of guys in the field who may be able to stay there better in any way than Peyton Manning. But his 11-12 and 12 postseason record, uh, yeah, he got to the postseason 12 times, Tarvin, but he's lost a lot of games. And, and playing as poorly as he did on Sunday night will affect, when you talk about, you know, the top five quarterbacks of all time, I don't know that Peyton Manning is going to be in there, even with those five MVPs, just based on postseason performance. And that's, you know, we're talking about the greatest of the great at this point. Yeah, I, I would have to disagree, Trey, with top five of all time. There's not even a doubt in my mind. Remember, he still almost threw for 300 yards. He did have he had two picks. But if you can't have an offensive line to block for you, it, it causes problems. And if you look, Trey, 27 yards on the ground, that's what Denver had in this game. So Denver never at one time in this game ever acted like they wanted to get back into it. Seattle just dominated from start to finish. And I have Cuervo on the line. He's a big he's a Peyton Manning fan, and I want to hear your thoughts, Cuervo. Welcome to the show, first of all, and I just want to hear your thoughts about Peyton Manning. What do you think of his legacy after the Super Bowl loss? Well, good evening, guys. Thanks for uh, letting me come on for a little while. You know, his legacy, like Trey mentioned, does one game, and even though it's the Super Bowl, does one game really take him out of the race, you know, the race, if you want to call it that, as far as being one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, that that's <clears throat> that's a that's a tough one to swallow, guys, because you know everybody keeps talking about Super Bowls. Yes, he's only won one out of three, but there's the one thing that I have not really heard anybody else talk about yet that you cannot change, you cannot take away from him, and, and and it's not even about the five MVPs, guys. I mean, obviously you can't take that away. But the other thing you cannot take away is week in and week out, the, the, the nightmares, the headaches that he gives defensive coordinators. You have to pre- – I mean, you have to prepare for this guy week in and week out. And to me, that's what makes someone a Hall of Famer. That's what makes somebody great. You don't prepare for Eli the way you do for Peyton. And everybody keeps talking about, well, Eli is better than Peyton because he has one more Super Super Bowl ring. Really? Do defensive coordinators prepare for Eli like they do for Peyton Manning? I, I seriously doubt that. And if you're going to tell me that they do, I'm going I'm to call you a liar because – the way you prepare for number 18 is not the way you prepare for number 10. This guy will make you work, you know, 20 hours a day to try and figure out how to stop him. And I give all the credit in the world to the Seahawks defense because they – I'm going to tell you guys, when it, as soon as, when it was 8 to nothing, okay, and it was still a one-score you know, one game pretty much, I'm going to tell you the moment that I realized Denver was in big trouble – and you guys, I'm sure you guys remember this play, was the crossing route that he hit Demarius Thomas and Camp Chancellor just hit him to 1965. I mean, just totally just smoked him, and he fell back about a good three yards. 
at that moment, I looked over at my buddy who, who I went to his I went to his house and watched the game. I said, "Man, I was like, Denver's in trouble. De- Seattle came ready to play tonight, and that's when I knew this this could not this might not end well for the Broncos." But just just in my opinion, this is not being a home, me being a homer because I'll I'll say the same thing about Tom Brady. You know, defensive coordinators they they pull their hair out trying to prepare for these two quarterbacks. So to me, you know, to sit here and take away from what he has done in his career just because he doesn't have all the rings. So I guess, you know, I guess Trent Dilfer is a better quarterback than Dan Marino was because he's got one more ring. You know, that that's why I'm not a big fan of the Super Bowl argument. It's, you know, people, how do you prepare – what does he, what does he bring to the table? And that's my thing, and that's what makes you great. That's what makes you a Hall of Famer. But, but well, let me ask you this, buddy. I, 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 you know, I'm setting aside the Trent Dilfer argument because he's not in the Hall of Fame, and he, and he won't be. But I mean, are you saying that postseason performance? When you talk about the top ten, fifteen, you know, the guys who are already in Canton, and we all, no, Peyton Manning will be in Canton. Are you saying that? His postseason performance should not be weighed against the other guys who are already enshrined there. We already consider. I mean, is it not racked in stack in any kind of way in regards to postseason performance? We're talking about the best of the best. Well, I mean, but you know, it, it's going to happen, though. I mean, it should. It, to me, I, I'm all I'm saying is I think postseason performance gets weighed in a little too much because. You know, like like I said, you know, Trent Dilfer is a great – you know, you don't prepare – even in the postseason, like his success was based off of the great defense that, that Baltimore had, and that's what got him a Super Bowl ring in reality. Brad Johnson in Tampa Bay, the defense is what got him a Super Bowl ring. So, I mean, the whole postseason play and, 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 and judging quarterbacks based on postseason play, sometimes – it's not as relevant. But when we're talking about guys like Manning and Brady and, you know, you go in the past with Montana and guys like that, yeah, it, it does. And unfortunately, it, it's, it's you know, I can sit here and make the argument for him, you know, all night long about how, you know, his postseason performance or his record – um, is not a reflection of his career, like as far as what he's done as a whole. But that's that's how we judge quarterbacks nowadays. So I mean, I I understand what you're saying, Trey, and I just don't think it's not it's not always a fair argument because you know that sometimes it takes away from, like I said, the the overall resume of these guys and. I don't know. I, I just I think for for Peyton, it's like you know eleven and twelve. That's all people are going to think about. They're going they're not going to remember the records that he set this year. They're not going to remember uh, how many times he sent his team to the postseason. I mean, you know, you want you want to talk about how bad he did in the postseason. You got to get there first. And every year in and year out in his career, he has taken his teams to the postseason. And so I mean, I, I don't know. I just you know, as much as I would not like to see his career based off of his postseason, unfortunately, 
you're you're right, trade. That's what it's going to be based on. And, and to me, I, like I said, it just it should not be a reflection of his career. Trey, uh, can you name five quarterbacks in all time that's better than Peyton Manning? Or is that something easy you could pop off the top of your head? Because going into that game, to the Super Bowl, looking at Peyton Manning's career, not one game, I had him, regardless of the outcome, is one of the top three of all time. It's easy. That loss, yeah, it sucks and everything, but he's not the only one that cost his team. you got to remember, Joe Montana – had so much talent around him every year. He was in San Francisco. It was pathetic. And then when he went to Kansas City, you saw how good he was. So tell me the quarterbacks in your mind that are better, Trey. Well, I mean, well, start off with Montana, Tarvin. He did take the Kansas City Chiefs to the postseason. So we can start off with um, the fact that he did perform at Kansas City. I, I think Montana is up there. I mean, I, you know, you can't forget mm-hmm. about the old guys like Johnny Unitas. I mean, Johnny Unitas is clearly above Peyton Manning, I think, in that regard. I, you know, I think so that, you know, talking about this too, uh, right right off the top, I mean, but, Tarvin, you, you ask, you know, who else? You know, I think in the modern era, I think you're talking about, you know, Tom Brady has to be considered, uh, if not equal to, better than Peyton Manning yeah. because uh, the numbers yeah. that he's put up and, and the fact that he wins with no talent. Uh, and, you know, and I think Peyton Manning has won with incredible talent, Tarvin. And I, I, don't, I don't think you can compare uh, and say if Peyton Manning hasn't won. I mean, he's had Hall of Fame receivers in his career the entire time. Uh, and, you know, one could say Demarius Thomas is on his way. He had three guys this year over 1,000 yards. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not, you know, lack of talent. Um, so, you know, he's, he's had a lot of talent with him. I think when you talk about the performance in the Super Bowl, you know, I, I talked about it before the game, and one of the things that I was worried about for Denver was, you know, can, you know, this offensive coordinator, Adam Gase, who is, you know, much ballyhooed, uh, is he going to be able to, you know, adjust when the Seattle defense shut down shut down Peyton? And that's what I, you know, you talked about the keys of the game before, and that was one of mine, and he didn't. He saw that from the get-go, that no Sean Brano wasn't used. So, you know, that's, that's just a couple of thoughts, Harvin. You know, you're talking about, and, you know, is Drew Brees up there? Not, not so much in my book, but, you know, you talk about Brett Favre and some other guys. You've had, you know, there's guys out there, Tarvin, that you can clearly make good arguments for. Yeah, I mean, there are. You can make arguments for a lot of people. But when I look at a, I look at the body of work of someone, and, and playoffs matter. They do. People weigh, you know, like, like Eli Manning. Anybody that came up to me and said Eli was better than Peyton, I'd probably knock their teeth out, honestly, for somebody to come up and say something that stupid. But – you know, I look at the body of work for Peyton all the way where he started with Indianapolis, how bad they were. I mean, this was a very bad team uh, when he inherited them. He got them to be up in and out every year playoff team, got them to the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, lost a Super Bowl to the Saints, and then he gets hurt, he comes back to Denver, makes a Super Bowl, and he loses. I mean, that's what bothers me. Look at Jim Kelly. He he made the Super Bowl four times or whatever and lost them all. But look at the he had he had some great talent around him. I, I just look at Brett Favre too, guys. I mean, we could sit here all night and do this. Brett Favre is one of the best of all time, in my opinion. He didn't win many Super Bowls, but he was a gamer. Every defense hated to play against somebody like that. And Cuervo, I'm, I still have Peyton Manning in my top three of all time, and it's not even the, it didn't even hurt it the other night really losing that game. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's just, it's just, it's all opinion, you know, it's all opinionated. There is no, 
calculations that that will say, okay, well, mathematically, you know, Peyton Manning's the number three quarterback all time, or number five, or number seven, or whatever. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's it, it's it's always a, it's always a fun thing to talk about. But you know, that and that's the next thing I wanted to hit on. You you started you pretty much uh, talked about it, uh, Brian was. You know how many how many quarterbacks can you know take multiple teams to the Super Bowl? If Tom Brady was to go, you know, play somewhere else, do you think he could lead that team to the Super Bowl? I mean, for some people, it's an easy yes, but until I actually see it, then I don't know. I don't know if he actually could do it. And you know, it takes a it takes a special talent. It takes a, a you know. Uh, a very a very solid leader and, and and a guy that knows what he's doing to be able to do that and Peyton did it only his second year in Denver. Now, granted, I mean you can talk about all you want about uh, the great receiving core that he had, um, but let's 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 ask this question. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. When Kyle Lorton and Tim Tebow were the quarterback, who cared about Demar- who, who who talked about Demarius Thomas? Who talked about Eric Decker as much as we do now? Nobody did, and and you know, and then on top of that, last year Julius Thomas, the, the tight end, comes out of nowhere, and you know becomes it becomes one of the best tight ends in football, and you know it's not because you know he's just that great of a tight end, it's just because he's got the best quarterback, you know, working with him. So I mean, for him to turn this team around that fast, like you were talking about, you know, that's. That's something that makes somebody great as well. You put him in any situation, and and he succeeds. Well, Trey, I, I want to talk about real quick Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. I heard several people talking about Russell Wilson was the best quarterback out of that class that came out with Andrew Luck and those guys. I have a question for you, Trey. If you put Andrew Luck on Seattle, you put Wilson on Indy, What's the difference, really? Do you see Indianapolis doing as good as they did this year with Russell Wilson being their quarterback? Well, I mean, the thing about that argument and the whole, you know, what if you switch them, is each team is built around a certain strength set. I mean, the Seattle offense is built around a mobile quarterback. So if you put Andrew Luck on Seattle, I don't think he'd be very successful unless they revamped the way they they run their offense because, I mean, they run their offense through Marshawn Lynch. Uh, and, you know, is Andrew Luck going to be okay handing the ball off 30 times a game if that's what needs you mean? So, you know, the, the different strategies for winning football games. I mean, I don't buy into the Russell Wilson's the manager or, you know, Alex Smith's, you know, game manager because, I mean, they're built around certain ways the, the offense is built around. I mean, Russell Wilson had a great Super Bowl. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he could have been the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, it was, you know, he had a couple touchdowns. He threw the ball well. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if he's the best of the class, Tarvin. And he's certainly the most winning, and he's certainly the one who's won playoff games and the one who has a Super Bowl ring. But whether or not he'll be the one in Canton versus the other ones, I'm not willing to say that right now, Tarvin. I'm just what you can say is what you have, and what he's the most. You know, he has the most victories of any quarterback in that class right now. Well, guys, hold on just a second. We have seven minutes before Coach Lack comes on, Jonathan. Is online right now. He's he's on the phone with us. Jonathan, Russell Wilson is he better than Andrew Luck? Oh man, um, no, of course not. Andrew Luck Thank is a you. much better quarterback than Russell Wilson. Thank you. 
I, I mean, uh, you know, the, everybody always wants to talk about how Seattle's receiving core, uh, they need to revamp it and they need to upgrade it. Well, if they had a passing quarterback thrown to those receivers, nobody would be talking smack about that receiving core. Let's be honest, guys. You know, Andrew Luck, can he, would he be okay handing the ball off 25, 30 times a game? Well, he did it quite a bit in, at Stanford. I'm pretty sure he'd be okay with it now. I'm just saying, you know, um, and that would give that offense more of a threat. And Luck is mobile, and he might not be as quick as Wilson, but he's just as mobile. I mean, let's, let's not sit here and try to say Wilson, Russell Wilson is the next great mobile quarterback, guys. He is just a he, – he is like Alex Smith. They have a system that works because they can't run any other system. They can't. There's no way you can take Alex Smith or Russell Wilson and tell them, here, you're going to run uh, the Pate Manning-type offense. It's not going to work. They can't do it. Al- Andrew Luck can run any offense you ask them to run except for probably the triple option. <laughs> well, sorry, the, well, the battle of your comment about Russell Wilson, I mean, it's not like Andrew Luck hasn't had his shot. He's been in the postseason both years. And he's won yeah, but he hasn't players. had the team, though. He hasn't had anywhere near the team Seattle has overall. They, they have no Amen. defense in Indianapolis. None. Amen. Preach it, brother. <laughs> I, I, second, I, I second everything that Mr. Tarvino just said because it was 100% accurate. You give Indianapolis Seattle's defense, we're probably talking about the Colts making a Super Bowl run. Let's be honest. That defense is amazing. I, you're talking about the best secondary in the game, one of the most deepest defensive lines in the NFL. Indianapolis has nothing outside of Robert Mathis. Let's be honest. I, I mean, you, you can't say, oh, well, if we fluff him, you know, is Andrew Luck going to be able to do it? Well, yeah, he will because he'll have that defense behind him on top of everything else that we're bringing up. And Doug Baldwin's a very good receiver. So is Golden Tate. You just got to get a quarterback who can throw it to him. Seattle's a place where receivers' careers go to die because they don't have a quarterback that can get the ball to them. I don't think Indianapolis' yeah. problem this year was defense in the postseason. Didn't Andrew Luck throw seven interceptions this year in the postseason? Didn't that defense give up six rushing touchdowns to the Patriots and 44 points to the Chiefs? Pretty easy when you're giving, the, giving up seven interceptions to have great field position. Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to make a prediction, guys. If you put Russell Wilson on the Colts, and I'm going to Cuervo on this one, if if I put Russell Wilson on the Colts with that, that receiving core, which is nothing, no defense, I would say the Colts were a four-win team at the best, Cuervo. You tell me if I'm wrong. And, you, and I'm not stealing your thunder, Cuervo, but you said it before. In the next couple of years, once Manning and Brady leave, Andrew Luck's going to be the number one quarterback in the NFL, and I'm here to second that, man. I think Andrew Luck is the real deal. And, and when you're drafted first, that means you're going to a sucky team. You're drafted in the second round or so, and you go to one of the best teams in the NFC, it's easier to win, Cuervo. So where would they be with uh-huh. Russell Wilson with Colts? Uh, I could see four. I, I get, I'll give you five. Why? Because they get to play Jacksonville twice a year. So, yeah, I would say probably, <laughs> probably four or five wins. Four <laughs> or five. And I have a good question for you all right here, and I'll start with Jonathan real quick before Coach Lett gets on. Seattle, I mean, people are already talking about repeating. You look at the division they play in with San Francisco, with the great team they have. You have Arizona that all they need is a quarterback, and they could make a run. You have St. Louis with that pass rush they have, getting better. Sam Bradford can come back. What are the chances of Seattle repeating? And I'll start with you, Jonathan. Um, 
slim. Very, very, very slim. And that's nothing against the Seahawks. Um, that is a very good football team. We know this. But San Francisco is going to get even better. Uh, Arizona. And I don't think the problem in Arizona is Carson Palmer. I think the problem in Arizona is that offensive line more than anything. I mean, their first-round pick last year was injured before the regular season even started. Arizona is a very competitive football team led by a very strong defense. St. Louis is a very strong defense with an offense that if Bradford's healthy could guide them to the playoffs. You know, it's going to be very hard. Let's not forget about Green Bay. How's Philly going to be next year? Carolina, New Orleans, is Atlanta going to bounce back? The NFC is so deep that it's very hard mm-hmm. to, for me to say that Seattle's going to repeat. Trade? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, if, you're, if you're taking the field versus Seattle, I take the field. I mean, just in the NFL, uh, what Jonathan's really getting at is the absolute diversity and the, the, the very difficulty uh, that any team is going to have to repeat nowadays. It's going to be just extremely hard. I, I think Seattle has a tough time, absolutely. I think they're going to have uh, a much harder road because anytime you win the Super Bowl, your next year's schedule usually looks pretty difficult. Uh, but if I'll tell you, Tarvin, of the two teams in the Super Bowl, there's a good chance that one of them doesn't make the postseason. You know, and you, you, I think both, you could make an argument that both teams, uh, you could make an argument that one of those, both teams, whether the Broncos or the Seahawks, don't make the postseason next year. Yeah, I think the Broncos will. I think if Peyton Manning comes back, the Broncos could easily be back in that Super Bowl. I mean, that's the problem. The AFC's so weak that it's, it's just anybody's game. I mean, New England, my God, they were the second-best team, and they had nobody. Cuervo, Seattle, what are the chances of repeating? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say about a about a 2% chance. I mean, the, the NFC is way too strong, way too deep. I mean, you got to get out of the division first. San Francisco, like you guys are saying, they're, gonna, they're only going to get better. Um, you know, Arizona might get better. Uh, you know, I mean, the the whole NFC is is you know they continue to get stronger. All the, all the you know all the talent and all the good teams are on the NFC side. So I mean, I, I really don't see. I I see Denver getting back next year. You know more than I do Seattle. If I had to put money on it, I see the, I see the Broncos getting back to the Super Bowl in reality. So. Um, I think they both make the playoffs. Let's not let's not get too crazy here. They they're both going to make the playoffs next year. Um, but if I had to put money on who who would actually make it back to the Super Bowl, I put money on Denver. All right. Well, guys, Coach Led is is online with us. We're going to switch gears. Jonathan Cuervo, stay with us. I'll bring you up. Press number one, guys. And I'll bring you back on. We're going to talk to Coach Led a minute about recruiting, and I'm sure he'll take a question or two. We're going to bring him in. Coach Led, uh, how do you feel now that signing day is over, the letters have been faxed in? Are you ready to relax or are you ready to get to work? Uh, a little bit of both. Very excited. We had a great day here at Rocky Top. So take a little sigh of, uh, sigh of relief, everybody we wanted. Pretty much got everything kind of went according to plan. Uh, made all our 2015 calls, so we're back at it already. A couple of days off at the end of the week, but other than that, business as usual. Well, Coach, I just want to congratulate you on, uh, you know, a first full season of recruiting, really. 
You get 33 commits, 16 four-stars, which is amazing, 17 three-stars. And I have a question that maybe some listeners out there don't know. As a coach, when you go to recruit players, do you look at these recruiting services, first what, who has who ranked, or do you already have your eye on some? Do you have other scouts that go out and, and try to, to get the talent for you? We we actually use the recruiting services as a as a baseline. So they'll every year at the beginning of the year they'll bring out the top fifty guys in each position, and we'll look at those look at those guys and see where they're ranked, and then we actually look at them, make sure we we know who they are and whatnot. But at the end of the day, we trust our own evaluation. That's the one thing we do. We always look for that guy that's not on the list, that's not a, two, a four star or five star. We always try to find that one guy that nobody knows about because it's a thousand, thousand of kids out there that fall through the cracks. And all these kids get these four and five stars by going through all these rival camps and all these different 707 camps. And a lot, some kids can't do it. They don't have the money to do it or they're not in high school that does that kind of thing. So you, you look for those guys who may fall through the cracks. But we always use the rivals, the 247 guys, as a baseline and a little uh, inside information. Okay, great answer. Trey's with me, the co-host. Trey, go ahead. Hey, Coach, good to have you back on. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, congratulations on, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go by the, the highest ranking, a top five class by a couple of different services. Coach, there's a couple of players that I'd like to ask you about just in particular. Uh, and you know, obviously we'll talk about your, your couple of five stars that you have on your roster uh, currently at Rocky Top, but tell me about uh, the one of the guys I'm, I'm interested in hearing your perspective on uh, is Evan Berry, the defensive back out of Fairburn, Georgia. Uh, what can you tell me about this guy? I, I think he's maybe uh, even at four stars, possibly a guy who has a higher ceiling. Well, of course he's a uh, little brother to uh, Eric Berry, the top yep. five driver <laughs> that played played at, played at Rocky Top a while back. Just like a matter of fact. But uh, him and his twin brother, Elliot, are, they both come from a great program. They went 15-0 this year over at Creekside High School, and uh, they beat every team by double digits. So they're, they're winners in their own right. And uh, Evan brings – he can play any position on the field. So when he gets here, whatever you want to play, Evan, go play. Elliot's the same way. These, you got two guys that are extremely talented, extremely competitive. And with their brother having the pedigree that he had and uh, – being a pro bowler or whatnot, they are extremely smart. Evan and Elliot are both extremely smart players. And their dad, actually, Mr. Berry, played at, uh, played running back for us as well. So they have a whole legacy class here at Tennessee. So we're excited to have them. And both guys can play any position, receiver, DB, running back, whatever whatever they want to play. So uh, we're very, very excited to have them. Coach, six foot three, 230-pound Jalen Hurd out of Hendersonville, Tennessee. Most places have him, have him listed as an athlete. How do you guys look to, to use him? He looks like a beast, man. I think he can make some instant, Im- immediate impact for Tennessee this next year. Uh, well, he sure adds depth to our running back position right off the bat. I mean, he walks in the building, you think he has shoulder pads on already, and he just <laughs> has that's – just, that's just his normal look. But – uh he had he had a heck of a career. He got hurt towards uh, at the beginning of his uh, senior year and is, decided to go and have surgery right away. So right now he's good to go. He's lifting, running, doing everything with the team. So that's great. 
But he's he's a freaking nature. He's one of the top players in the state and one of the top players in the country. And uh, we're we're excited to have him. He brings uh, competition back to the running back spot. Uh, great depth to the running back spot. That was one position that we wanted to hit. Losing Ray on Neal, we had twenty some touchdowns this year. He was our leading scorer, so that really solidified a spot for us that we needed a hole to fill. And uh, we're excited for Jaylen. He's extremely confident, extremely happy-go-lucky kid. He's one of the one of our first five five commits that we got at the beginning of the, uh, the season this past season. But Jalen Hurd, we're we're really excited for him. And uh, Tennessee, the whole state of Tennessee is uh, rooting for him and whatnot. So we're really, 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 really looking forward to seeing what Jalen Hurd is going to do here with this spring ball coming up. Coach, you talk about, uh, you know, instant impact players and, and adding depth. Uh, one of the positions that I know is, you know, near and dear to your heart is wide receiver. Uh, and you could say you guys had a pretty darn good class. I mean, uh, two four-stars and a five-star, you know, Wharton, uh, looks pretty darn good from Nashville. Local Tennessee boy, you know, Pearson. Uh, he got out all the way up from California from, I think, the community college recruit. And then, of course, your five-star in Washington. What can you tell us about your, your wide receiver class that you have uh, coming in? Well, we actually revamped the whole wide receiver room. At this time last year, there were eight guys in the room that are no longer in uh, the room this year. So we really, really re-changed uh, the wide receiver room. Guys are extremely competitive. The three guys we brought in, two of them are here now, uh, Josh Malone and Von Pearson. They're both here now. Josh Malone's already put on 14 pounds. He's been here for four weeks. He's already put on 14 pounds. Von's put on by eight. They're both getting acclimated to the college life and the college-style lift and the college-style eater, eating like a big-timer, acting like a big-timer, getting into the playbook. So we're really excited about those two. And Vic Warden is a speed demon. Uh, he just put up one of the top 50 times in the, in the country in the 60 last weekend. So he's a speed demon. So we're excited to get him in June and let him uh, run around the field with the ball in his hands. But overall, the receiver room is completely completely changed. Everybody's competitive. We got a, a great group of, group of guys that each guy brings a different thing, a different skill set to the to the table, which is going to be great. So we're excited about wide receiver U and what's going to be happening in the very near future. Coach, Coach I'm being in Auburn looking at them. I see their JUCO class, how important it, it is to them. Looking at your JUCO class was phenomenal. How many of these guys do you think are going to come in and make an immediate impact? I'm looking at all of them, and I think they could get playing time immediately. Well, we had a, we have a lot of holes to fill, and uh, we're looking for these guys coming to make an impact right away. If they do what we uh, anticipate they do, them to do, they're going to be ready to play and uh, really contribute to the program right away. And uh, we're looking forward to especially Von Pearson. Uh, Blair, we got a couple guys who are going to play some big-time roles for us. And the good thing about JUCO is uh, we're able to play with some college-level talent, be in a decent weight program and whatnot, so it's not completely foreign to them. And all our JUCOs are here now, so that was great. That was a big thing. That was a huge thing for us to get them here in, in January as an early enrollee and get them going, let them learn our system, so that way they can have a spring ball under their belt. And when uh, fall camp comes, we're rocking and rolling. Okay, I have one more right quick with this one. I look at your breakdown of recruiting, and one of the main things I look at for new coaching staff is how how they recruit their own state. Looking at your commits, 10 out of Tennessee top-notch players, but it looks like you 
you had recruits out of 13 states. I mean, how busy does Coach Jones keep you guys? 13 states. I think that's phenomenal having that much talent from different different areas like that. All I know is we kept the uh, the airline industry in business this past few weeks. So we put, we put in some we put in some freaking flyer miles. All our coaches are uh, flying in and out. It was it was pretty hectic. But uh, we in a great place like Tennessee. Think about it. We're nationwide. We got fan bases everywhere, and everybody knows who Tennessee is. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, you want to get the great guys that you got in the state, and that's that's the most top priority. We got to get our top guys in the state. This is our state, and that's one thing that Coach Jones made it a priority. He said, guys, if they can play ball, they're coming to Tennessee if they're in the state of Tennessee. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. We got to get them here. If we can't get them here, that's our job. So that's our job is to get them here. And then all the other guys around the state, I mean, every state can't hold on their players. So that's our job is to go in some people's backyard and uh, get some of their talent. There's there's great players everywhere. And uh, Fortunately for Tennessee, everybody knows who we are. We can go to almost any state, and people know that's that's the power T right there. So that's the great thing about being in Rocky Top. Coach, I just want to ask you. You mentioned uh, you know already making 2015 calls, and one of the questions that I had was sort of piggybacking on one of your comments was this this class. I've heard actually called by one at least one recruiting analyst saying that this was kind of a legacy class, and you kind of mentioned that. Uh, for Tennessee. So how important is, is it for, as a coach, uh, incorporating the people who've been in the program before and bringing them back and so that you do become a legacy when it, you know, when it comes time for these, you know, children or, or brothers and sisters, or brothers, you know, coming up to the ranks that you want to choose Tennessee? It, it's huge. If you, if you look at a lot, most families who have at, who play, have guys who played professionally, they, they breed athletes. For some reason, that's how genetics work. I guess. And when you got guys who come came through your program, like the Eric Berry, the Bill Bates, those type of guys who were impact guys in your program, and then went on to have great NFL careers. And fortunate to have kids and sons that also are playing at a high level. You got to have those guys in your program. I mean, it's, it's great to say that you, you you have these guys that their dad played way before we were here. And the legacy lives on. And uh, this past weekend, we had the Berries on their official visit, and their dad came with them, Mr. Berry, and uh, we take him out to the stadium and whatnot on on a Friday night. When they get here, Mr. Berry, he walks through the stadium with the jumbotron on and the lights on. And he starts tearing up in his eyes because it means so much to him, and it's a great place. So that's just great. It's, it's great to have that the kind of legacy that these kids' fathers have, and now they're reliving the dream. And these dads are more excited than they are. You gotta see these dads when they get here. Like Todd Kelly, his dad put on his jersey when he uh when he got here this weekend. it's a great it's a great, great, great scene to see. That's, that's amazing coach and and I, I wanna Cuervo is on the line with us. He's a big Tennessee volunteer fan coach and he helps with the show a lot. Cuervo wants to ask you a question if that's okay with you coach. That's great. That's great. Come on, Quavo. Hey, Coach. Um, well, first of all, congratulations on a great class. Of course, I'm excited about that myself as a Vols fan. But, you know, I, I, I look at the, the, you know, how many guys you recruited, and I compare it to, the, you know, the top 
even 20 classes, and nobody recruited over 30 prospects, and Tennessee's got 31. So my question to you, Coach, is how important was the depth and how much did you guys focus on recruiting for depth purposes and is that a reason why the number is so so much bigger compared to other schools like A&M? They only recruited a total of 21 guys. Uh, you got, like, Georgia with only 20. Even Alabama, only 26. But you got Tennessee right there at 31. So how big was it to, to recruit, not just for, the, obviously, for the talent, but for depth as well? Well, depth is huge, especially when you're trying to rebuild a team, rebuild a program. And we we needed to get as uh, many guys as possible so we could have some competition here come springtime. That's one thing we were lacking last year was the depth and the lack of competition. It was like one guy in each position, and he had nobody to push him. So we wanted to get extremely competitive guys in here at a large amount. And one thing last year, we the, the class we signed in 2013, we only signed 20 guys. So we were able to count the, the 31 that we signed today, we were able to count five of those backwards to the 2013 class. So the, number, the strategy kind of worked out how we, how we hoped it would, but the depth is huge. Bringing it up, especially this year, because Tennessee had an abnormal amount of talent this year. Normally you have around, in the state of Tennessee, they have around four or five guys that are four or five stars. This year we had ten. So we had to get all of those right then and there. So that's ten right off the bat. So luckily we were able to get 31 guys in because ten of them were coming out of the state of Tennessee. But y'all, it, with, with us signing 31 guys, it's really, really, really solidifies our depth of some holes that we, we have, especially at the old line spot. We have all five guys, four graduate and one go to NFL early, who's the running back. We sure up our linebacker spot. And then the most important spot in the SEC, the D-line. We really uh, got that solidified with some big-time recruits there. So it was a huge class. Like you said, 31 guys is a lot. I mean, it's a lot. But uh, it's something that we need. And it's, well, the, the biggest thing is we got 14 of the 31 already here, and that's huge. Early enrollees, that's the biggest thing. That's the one thing we're hanging our hat on right now. 14 of them are already here. So that's an extra spring ball, a whole winter conditioning, eating, living, living right, studying, school, all that. So they're going to be ready to go come August. Well, Coach, I want to ask you about the conference you coach in, the SEC. I look at the rankings, and I'm on 247 right now, and seven of the top nine teams in recruiting were SEC teams. And somebody told me after Auburn lost the national title game that that the run for the SEC was over, that more parity is going to start happening. But I'm not seeing it. How do you feel coaching in a conference with that kind of talent in recruiting? I mean, it's hard to go undefeated when you look at talent like this across the board. Oh, it's tough, and we're well. Luckily, in the SEC, we're we're located in talent central, the southeast part of uh of the United States. is pretty pretty loaded, especially with the Floridas, the Georgias, and Louisianas. I mean, there's players going go all the way around, and then we're able to sneak and get some guys out of Ohio and New Jersey and whatnot. But like you said, it's extremely hard when you got Alabama, who's number one again. LSU got the number one ranked running back and the number one ranked receiver. Uh, who else? Texas A&M had a heck of a class as well. Like you said, seven of the nine classes are from the SEC, and that's because the best players want to play against the best talent. 
and that's in the SEC. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's a good and bad thing. You want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So, we're in the SEC. Luckily for us, we're able to solidify one of those top nine spots, so we're not around <laughs> the outside looking in like we were last year. But uh, it's fun. It, it, it makes us fun. You get to see some, some great talent every Saturday on both sides of the ball, both sides of the field. So, it's great. It's a little nerve-wracking because some guys you really wanted on your team, now you got to like, oh, man, i got to play against them for four years. Little things like that. But <laughs> it's the nature of the, that's the nature of the business. So, luckily, Dory Jackson went to uh, USC and not LSU. So, that's one thing. That's a bullet we dodged. Okay. Trey's going to ask you a question, and then Cuervo's going to get one more in. Trey, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, Coach, and we're assuming that Dory Jackson gets his letter of intent actually signed, Coach. Uh, I'm hearing that we're still not <laughs> sure on that one yet. Uh, really? Yeah, he he, uh, he apparently, his parents want him apparently to go to LSU, apparently. There's some, there's some interesting comments uh, on that one lately, Coach. I, I'm hearing that it may come in tonight, but, uh, yeah. He, okay. He's, uh, <laughs> well, we're still waiting on that one, I guess, and when I say we, it would be USC. But, uh, Coach, let me ask you this. I heard one of the biggest flips or the biggest, you know, signing day moment, and there's always some drama happened, uh, you know, with this Evans kid from Auburn and Alabama, and one of the stories that came out of that was uh, how a current player on the Alabama team was recruiting him on that team. Can you talk about how uh, either valuable or, or maybe if you don't think it's valuable, having the players that are currently on your team, I guess, interact with your recruits to sort of recruit them as well? Oh, that, that, that's, that's vital. We, uh, we we got some recruits just because they said they liked our players more than they liked another school players, and and vice versa. So Coach Jones, we made a, a case in point to educate our current players on how to recruit, what to say, and things like that. And just be honest with the kids and make sure that they want to be around the same guys that we we are recruiting. So that's one thing that's very, very vital in recruiting because if the, if the recruit don't like the players or don't feel the family bond or don't mesh well, they're going to go somewhere else. So we made it a case in point that we are a family. You are a perfect fit for our program. And our guys, our current guys, make sure they exemplify that to the recruit. So that, that that's one of the top things in recruiting. That's that's huge. That's almost the biggest facilities and what conference you're in. I mean, that that's really huge because they're going to be around these guys for four years. And they want to feel like they fit in, like they're comfortable. So that's one thing that we did at Tennessee when we got here was educate our players and make sure that we had that family atmosphere because these are your brothers for four years. These guys will be in your weddings. They're going to be your best friends for life. So we want to make sure that we have that every day here at Tennessee. Coach, uh, Trey, that was a great question, and Coach, great answer to that. I never thought of it that way. Cuervo, go ahead with your question. I appreciate it, Tarvin. Now, Coach, I might get you a little fired up here, but but I've I've got a question for you. Um, you know, between myself and you know fellow Vol fans, uh, Tennessee hasn't seen much success in the past. Well, I'd say probably ten years now, and. Obviously, we're all excited about the class that's coming in. It's number five in the country. I don't think we've seen a class like that. It's been a long time. So, and a lot of people are just saying, well, you know, it's a recruiting class. However, let's see what we're going to do with that class. What is your message to those type of all fans that 
that say those type of things as far as, well, you know, they got the guys in, now let's see them win. What What is your message to to them? Well, I'll let them know right off the bat. We, with the class we're bringing in and, class, and the current team right now, we're working to win every day. That's our first and foremost goal. We work everything we do. We're working to win every day. And they're right. These guys that we just recruited, the five stars and four stars, nobody's made a catch in the evening yet. Nobody's made a tackle yet. But these, we did our due diligence. These are very talented guys who fit our program where these guys are hungry and they're very competitive. So this 2014 class, it's not fair to put everything on them because we got the five, the number five class ranking or whatnot. But yeah, we have a great confidence in these guys that they're going to come in right now and make a tremendous impact on the, on our football program. And the state of Tennessee will be proud of these guys. And just let them know every day we're working to win. So Vol Nation, we are working to win. We got half the class here now, and they're working to win. And we're going to right this ship. We're going to write this ship ASAP, and we're going to bring in another class next year. It's very similar to this. We're already working on it. We're already working on it. So, Vault Nation, hang in there with us, and we're back, baby. We're back. Well, Coach, I want to ask you one last question, and we'll let you go. And we're with Coach Derek Lett for Tennessee. Thank you for joining us tonight. I know you're busy. You'll probably give out. You have a cold like I do, it sounds like, so – I hear you coughing, but one question I want to ask you is, I don't know if you heard A.J. McCarron's comments, Alabama's quarterback. He thought some of their failures this year, they had too much, too many five-stars on their team. And as a coach, do you worry, is there ever a time where you have too much talent on a team that could, could affect the chemistry? Maybe you have too many egos, and how does that go in when you're – when you're looking at a team, you're, you're trying to piece together the perfect fit. Have you ever thought of that? When you were putting together a, a list of recruits, that, that that is a that's a good question, and that does come up. You can't. It's very hard to have fifteen uh, Dez Bryant's in a room. No coach can survive through that. It's very it's very hard. We actually had certain certain players that we talked to. And was like, hey, we're thinking about bringing this guy on. If you don't feel you mesh well with him, we we won't bring him. I mean, because it, it's hard to have. It's only one ball, and as a coach in the receiver position, it's only one ball going around. You only get eight to ten passes a game. You can't have thirty-five. You can't have the top thirty-five receivers in your room. You know you want this. It sounds great, <laughs> but luckily for us, we we have we we piece to, uh, piece together the players that we felt mesh well together. Whether it be a four-star, five-star, three-star, we met we meshed them well together to match everybody's strengths and weaknesses. So we didn't bring in 20 guys that all run 4-3. We brought some guys in who could, who could go vertical, some, some guys who could go uh, who are more shifty. Some guys, some running backs are a little more bulky, a little downhill, and other guys are a little more hit the sideline type. So we, we matched them up really well. So that's one thing that we do look at. That's one thing you want to make sure, because you don't want to bring in – that's one thing that will kill a team right away. You bring in three guys who – Hate each other or are at each other's neck because they're fighting over who's the who's the bigger star or whatnot. Now, don't get me wrong; we want competition. We want it more in a friendly way. So that's one thing that we do look at, and we do sit down as the coaching staff. And you find that out through recruiting, talking to the kids constantly, getting around the kids, and talking to the kid friends, the kid coaches, and things like that. So you find it out. So there's ways to get to know whether this kid or recruiter, I should say. It's going to mesh, mesh well, and if you have too many big egos in the room, 
especially in the wide room because his ego's in there. Trust me. <laughs> well, <laughs> Coach, again, I want to congratulate you and and Tennessee and all the Paul fans out there for a very successful. You know, year, I've, I've struggled through some bad years, but when you see a coaching staff like I've seen Coach Jones assemble with you guys and, and the passion you have for your program, the passion you have for your players, I, I'm glad you're not on their schedule anytime soon. So good luck to you. I can really pull for you this year every game. So I'll be pulling for you, and hopefully we can get you in for some interviews soon, you know, once we get spring training out of the way, see how it looks and everything. But, again, thank you from Way In Sports for coming in, taking the time to join us, and good luck. Uh, thank you so much. Our spring ball starts uh, March 7th, and, I, and our spring game is April 12th. So we'll make sure we touch base in between there and uh, give you a quick update of what's going on up here at Rocky Top. Okay, maybe I can get there to watch your spring game. That would be fun. That would be great. I'm glad to have you. All right, Coach. Well, good luck, and thanks again for joining us. That was Coach Derek Lent from the Tennessee Volunteers. Trey, I mean, I'm glad they're not on Auburn's schedule in the next few years. That's all I can tell you. Well, I mean, you know, you can't help, but if you're a Cuervo or another Tennessee fan, feeling they're going in the right direction. I mean, 36 commits, five going the books for last year. I mean, you talked about the 16 to four stars. They got two five stars. I mean, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting building block for them, and they have that brick by brick, uh, you know, that that slogan going on, and you actually saw it in the back of the room when they were getting the faxes in on TV. So, I mean, they have they have something special building. I mean, it's clearly something in the air at Tennessee. You know, you're right; they're going to be very dangerous as these guys start getting PT. Well, let's let's get into some recruiting, and and we follow Tennessee hard, and we're going to keep following them. I'm, I'm going to make it to their spring game this year. I'm going to go take my father-in-law out. We're going to go to the Tennessee spring game and watch, see what these guys look like. But I guarantee you guys, they have, for the last two years of recruiting, they have what it takes to contend in the SEC East. And then you look at the 2015, they keep adding on top of it. This SEC is going to be so brutal that everybody will have three losses probably and nobody will get to play for it. But let's look at the recruiting day, guys. I'm excited. And we'll start off with Trey, we have Jonathan with us. Jonathan's here. Cuervo's here representing Tennessee. I'm Auburn, and Trey and Jonathan's Florida State. Let's look at the Florida State Seminoles. Jonathan, I'll start with you, buddy. You pulled in looking at 247, the number four class in the country. You have to be very pleased uh, with Jimbo Fisher and this this crew. He, I mean, what a class. I look at Florida State, and I don't see any weaknesses in it. Oh, it, it was. It was a fantastic class. Um, I was very happy with what our coaches put together. Uh, there were a couple guys that I thought we had a chance to bring in that decided to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, Malik McDowell from Michigan, who wound up uh, committing to Michigan State. Uh, Mr. Harris, who uh, decided to shock the world and commit to Florida. But seeing Dalvin <laughs> Cook and Ermon Lane, Kane Dobb, uh, Pure Foy, I mean, guys like that committing, we, we really hit the trenches hard. And that's where I was very happy with our class. It wasn't the receivers. It wasn't the running backs and all that we went after. J.J. Constantino, quarterback, was the fact that we nailed the trenches, which is where games are won and lost, as you know. Um, yeah. And we just went after it. I, it was it was really great to see. I mean, we have 11 um, commits who were of plus 300 pounds. I think all 15 
uh, wound up being 6'5 or taller. I mean, if you want to measure somebody by their height and weight, you go ahead and figure out that we're going to have some tough ones to push around. But I want to see how hungry these guys are. They're walking into a national championship, uh, you know, a national championship team that you had to suffer through. And Trey and I, uh, how we love that. But it's going to be interesting to see how J.J. Constantino develops. It's going to be great to see if Dalvin Cook is going to take away time from Mario Pender. Irmon Lane was a huge steal. Uh, that was a huge, huge, huge steal. I'm very impressed, very happy with Coach Fisher, Coach Haggins, and Coach Brewster really put together um, when it came down to it. And, Trey, talking about Florida State and and looking at them in that national title game, when you watch them up against an SEC opponent in the trenches, that's, that's the difference, and I don't think people understand. The ACC didn't didn't win. The Florida State Seminoles won that national championship, and I've said it for years that mm-hmm. when I look at Florida State, I'm looking at an SEC team, Trey. They recruit the same players as Florida, Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and they get them too. That's why they're successful. And just like Jonathan said, Trey, the offensive line, defensive line was a huge home run today for Florida State, and I think for the next few years, they're going to be contenders. Yeah, I mean, I, you, know, you and I talked off the air uh, prior to this, and I said that one of the things that I was most proud about with this class was the offensive line. I mean, seven offensive linemen. And, you know, the height and weight and that kind of stuff, I mean, that that's all fun and games. But there's a lot of talent, a lot of guys who are quick on their feet, a lot of guys who are really good run blockers or some guys who are good pass blockers. And they're guys who I think, honestly, Carvin, are just diamonds in the rough. Uh, one of the guys that we actually stole sort of like a thief in the night was a guy by the name of Kelly. Uh, he was a Florida commit, and we offered a scholarship to him at midnight last night, uh, and he committed. <laughs> so wow. uh, that, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, Derek Kelly, three-star, people people overlook because, you know, you're trying to you know see all the bling on the four- and five-stars. But when you look at the draft, I mean, there's a lot of three-star guys going in round number one. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guy who won the Heisman Trophy for Texas A&M, uh, and but the guy he was throwing the ball to, both were three stars. So, uh, you know, these guys, matter, and I think the guys like Derek Kelly get stolen in the middle of the night from Florida State. That's going to be a guy who I look at and see how he develops. If he's uh, a guy who could be your left, you know, your left tackle, the guy who you know blocks the line. So, best with. I mean, you can look at Dalvin Cook, a five-star running back. I think there's an argument that Florida State has the best receiving class with two five stars, uh, Travis Rudolph, and you know four star uh, who they stole as well. So I mean, Florida State, uh, oh good overall class, but Tarvin, you know one of the things, and you know this from Auburn's days of winning the title in 2010, it's the next year's recruiting that can actually be uh, when you start seeing the benefits from winning the national championship. It actually isn't this class. This class was built last yep. year. So. Mm-hmm. You're right. Florida State. You're, you're right, Trey, and that's what I've, I've told some people about Auburn. The run they had this year and the national title game would, would pay bigger dividends in the 2015 class, so we'll have to see that. But I'll, I'll talk about Auburn for a minute, guys, and, and this is a team that finished in the top ten in recruiting. Very solid, solid class. And, and I look at, you know, I want the five stars, the big names too, but what I look at, guys, what do you need as a team? What do you need to win next year? And looking at this class, guys, y'all can tell me if I'm wrong looking at it. Today was a big day for Auburn. They lost Evans. That hurt going to Alabama. Mm-hmm. I, don't think, I don't think they ever had him. But there's a kid in this class, Braden Smith, 
He's out of Kansas. He's a guard. He's six foot six, two ninety. They have him listed everywhere as a four star, but let me tell you this, he's probably gonna be the biggest impact player in this class. He's a five star in my opinion. I think Scout has him. He bench pressed five hundred and I think forty five pounds three times the other day. He's a he's an offensive lineman that could step in and help with Greg Robinson leaving. But you look at it, Jonathan, you look at Auburn's class here, they really loaded up on the defensive side of the ball. They missed out on Evans, a five star linebacker. But they got another five-star linebacker in Trey Williams out of Mobile, Alabama. They got a lot of corners. They got running backs. Mm-hmm. They got receivers. Man, they hit a home run in this class. What do you think? Can't disagree. I really can't. Auburn had a great, great recruiting class. Uh, as seen, they're a top ten once again in recruiting. They did a fantastic job really hitting the needs. And that was one thing that, you know, you noticed, looking at these SEC schools, um, this the recruiting cycle was a lot of the a lot of these teams focused on defense first. And we saw last year in the SEC was this really strange year where offense uh, kind of exploded all over the place. You saw a lot of teams focus on defense and became a real dogfight. And Auburn came away with some really great talent, some really great talent this year. Uh, you know, the, some of these guys can make an immediate impact right away. I'm really glad you brought up Braden Smith. Because I think you're right. I think he was a home run. That's a grand slam right there. I am really impressed with the film I've seen of this kid and just his character, the way that he carries himself. Uh, when he was on the camera today and some of the you know other interviews, if you want to call them, that he's done throughout his high school career, he can he really carries himself well. I was really impressed with uh, Braden Smith or Auburn. Yeah, this is a class that's going to go down, guys. Is is the class that I love the most. And it it wasn't an Alabama talented class or anything like that, but I look at what we needed, what we got, what we have coming back, a lot coming back, Cuervo for Auburn this next year. But you can't, you can't go wrong recruiting defensive players. And when you, when you, when you miss on some, it happens. But when you get somebody like today, it's like a Christmas present. You get Braden Smith. And I don't know if I talked to Trey, I talked to somebody about this. It might've been Bruce last night. He was the main guy I wanted. I didn't care about Evans or anybody else. I wanted this Braden Smith. But what do you think about Auburn's class, Cuervo? Well, I mean, it's, I think it goes back to exactly what you were talking about, uh, Brian, is, is the fact that Auburn got what they needed as far as uh, filling the holes in. And, you know, with a guy like, you know, Smith, I mean, that's, you know, you're replacing a guy in um, – uh, Robinson that, that, you know, you're missing out on. He's going to be gone. And, I mean, that, that's that's what good teams do. You know, they don't necessarily rebuild. They just reload. And, and for Auburn, they're at that point now where they can just say, oh, we're just reloading. And, you know, for Gus Malzahn, you know, only his second year as a head coach, uh, that's that's a quick turnaround for, for you know, for the Auburn, uh, for the Auburn Tigers. And, Trey, I want to ask you, what do you think of, of the Miami Hurricanes, you know, looking at 247, they finished 12th, but they only had one five-star in this class, seven four-stars and 18 three-stars. Is it going to be hard to keep going with Golden when you're having to, you're having to recruit against Muschamp and Jimbo Fisher and that staff? I just always see them being the third or fourth best team in that state. Yeah, you know, you and I talked about uh, You asked me uh, I think a couple of shows ago you know, what team I, I think was going to slip, and I, I said it was Miami. They had a lot of guys who I looked at were, were sort of 
very high prospects to to get flipped. I mean, they kept Chad Thomas, their big five star. They had to keep somebody, and, and good for them that they did. But they lost a lot of guys that they really, in, in years past, they would not have. I mean, I, I looked at Miami as a lot of guys weren't very strong commits there and, and were looking to get picked off, and they, they did. They lost commits here and there. This co- this class is not the class that I look at for Miami that's going to help you really to, you know, establish yourself against Florida and Florida top ten classes. I mean, they might you know, if you look at them on, you know, just the rankings, they're number 12, and that looks all, all grand. Uh, but there's some, there's some, I think, some talent issues they have. Uh, that they, This mm-hmm. class really, they look great on paper, three stars, and they have guys who could develop. Uh, but, Tarvin, I think they missed out on some of their bigger guys, and that's going to hurt them. And, Jonathan, I want to talk to you about two teams right quick that, that I feel like disappointed and that's Texas and Clemson. Those two teams, Jeff, Charlie Strong going to Texas. He finished 17th. He dropped five spots today. No five-star athletes, really. Eight, four stars. But Dabo Sweeney with that huge extension, no five stars. I mean, finished 18th. Tell us about those two programs and why are there no five-star talent going to those two schools? Well, I think with Texas, it's just become – a problem of the fact that Texas has been slipping the past couple of years. And you would think that they would dominate the state of Texas when it comes to recruiting. And I, I have a hard time disagreeing with that, but here's the problem. Texas slipped, and they continued to slip, and nobody within the organization tried to check themselves because, oh, we're, we're Texas. So, you know, what, what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Texas is going to pop up on the map. Baylor pops up on the map. TCU joins your conference, and all of a sudden they look pretty. Texas Tech comes along, and they finish that you're very strong. Oklahoma's never going to quit, and all of a sudden Stanford shows up, and they're plucking commitments left and right out of the state. Next, you know, Texas is sitting there going, whoa, what did we do wrong? Well, I'll tell you what you did wrong. You, you quit putting an emphasis on this whole rebuilding thing. You guys just thought, oh, we're just going to keep reloading. You're not reloading. You have weaknesses that they refuse to address. Quarterback was a huge weakness, and Texas was refusing to address it, whether it was not having a scholarship for Griffin, whether it was overlooking Winston, whether it was ignoring, I mean, overlooking on Manziel and ignoring Winston. Uh, come on, guys. I and mean, that is Texas's biggest problem. They're like, we'll keep getting these five-star recruits. Well, five-star recruits don't want to come to Texas if they're not going to win. And Clemson, you know, it, it was very surprising to me that neither Clemson or South Carolina really pulled off a huge recruit. And I started going to, through the list, and I'm going, where's the big-time South Carolina recruit? Where's the Marcus Lattimore, Daquan Bowers, Jadavian Clowney, uh, you know, Robert Nintendici? I know he went up with Ole Miss, but, you know, still. I mean, where's this big-time recruit that Clemson or South Carolina's in on? Clemson, of all teams in the ACC, needs to be sitting there going, Crap, 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 crap. What are we going to do? Taj Boyd's gone. Sammy Watkins is gone. All of a sudden, that offensive identity is gone. They have no offensive identity. And it just seems like they kind of went into this nonchalant. Almost as Clemson said, well, we just won the Orange Bowl. We're top ten. You know, who's going to ignore us? Well, recruits will ignore you if you don't chase them. You need to press really hard. And it seemed like Dabo Sweeney had a real, real lapse of judgment when it came to this recruiting cycle. 
I, I totally 100% agree with everything you just said right there, especially this part about Clemson. And, Trey, I want to move to Nebraska. Uh, your wife's a big Nebraska fan, finishing 35th in 247 here. How do you explain two four-star recruits and 22 three-stars? And I know stars aren't everything, but it's a good – it's a good judge of what these big-time recruits view your program. Nebraska's in trouble, Trey. If if you can't recruit any better than that, how is Bo Pelini going to take them to the Big Ten championship? Uh, yeah, and before – I do want to double back real quick. On, just to say that there are two transfers that could help make their classes a little bit better because the transfers can count toward your, you know, your classes, obviously, in talent. Uh, you know, Max Wittick, uh, when he graduates USC – uh, is taking visits to Texas this week, and obviously that could help the quarterback situation at Texas. And then Alvin, uh, the four-star running back who uh, was at Alabama and obviously saw the writing on the wall with Derrick Henry, uh, has been tweeting quite honestly that he's home in Clemson. So uh, those two players could help those two schools. Obviously, I think you guys hit the greater issues uh, at, at both those. But if you're a Texas and Clemson fan, you definitely want to get those transfers uh, from those two players. But, uh, Tarby, you talking about Nebraska. We talked about how they were losing commitments a lot earlier in this, this signing season. Uh, and, you know, something was in the water, and they got six recruits this past week signed. So it looked like they might have a push toward signing day, and they lost that, that sort of momentum very quickly. So I agree with you, Tarvin. There's something going on. I, I, you and I have talked about it. I think Bo Pelini is, is not right. I think he needs to go. He's not – a, uh, a phenomenal recruiter. He doesn't have the phenomenal type recruiters on his staff. Uh, so I think this is probably a good indication of where Nebraska needs to sort of cut ties because they're a school that can recruit much better talent than they're getting. Uh, and I think that's a sort of testament to the coaching staff. Well, Cuervo, I know you're still here with us. Um, looking at Ohio State, and I want to know your thoughts. They finished third on 247. 23 recruits total, one five-star, 15 four-stars. Is it me, or or do you feel the same as I feel, that I think this class really underachieved? I think this Ohio State class is not that impressive to me what I thought it would be, what Urban Meyer's building. Did he lose some momentum this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think – I think he might have been, you know, losing losing uh, in the Orange Bowl to Clemson is actually a lot bigger than people realize because it just it's just a sign of, well, if I go to Ohio State, are we going to win there? And, and I know that that may sound like you're questioning Urban Meyer, but it kind of is questioning Urban Meyer. I mean, when we think of Urban Meyer, guys, we think about the, the glory days, you know, for actual Florida Gator fans that live in this country, um, you know, that, 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 appreciated or, 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 you know, saw Urban Meyer win in Florida, and now he's at Ohio State, and it's like, whoa, you know, the, you lost you lost in the Orange Bowl. Like, what's going on? Do you not have the touch anymore? Is he not the same coach? And, you know, these, the, I'm sure these guys have a lot of questions in their head, and, you know, they start to wonder, well, am I, am I going to be successful with, with a guy like Coach Meyer, or should I – should I turn somewhere else? And I think, and that's why I think you know a lot of people may not realize it, but that loss to Clemson in the Orange Bowl is a lot bigger than than you realize. And just like Jonathan was talking about when when we're talking about the team that did win, I mean, 
Dabo Sweeney should have pounced on that and said, "Look, we just won the Orange Bowl. We're going to be, we're here to stay, and we're going to, and we're going to be a threat in the ACC for a long time." And, and you know, they just man, they missed out. I mean, they weren't aggressive enough. Yeah, Trey, I, w- I want to ask you about Urban Meyer too. Just, just looking at him. I, did you expect this year to be a class where he could beat Alabama and dethrone LSU in them? But do you think the loss to Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game parlayed with that loss to Clemson, did that take some – I mean, did that hurt him? Because that's exactly what I wanted to point out. I think that hurt Urban Meyer, and I don't think these recruits out here believe he has what it takes to be able to take their team to the national championship and actually win it. Yeah, I think what I think what you're really getting to is is this class. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, both in 24/7 and rivals, uh, this is the number three class in the country. So I mean, we're talking about a pretty good class for them. But it did mm-hmm. lack star power that I think we're used to seeing from Urban Meyer. And I think the Malik Mc, uh, McDowell, uh, deba- you know, debacle where he he wanted to go to Michigan State. I think you could tie that to the fact. I mean, this is prospect. This is the kind of guy that if they win one of those two games, Tarvin, I mean, I think you're right. I think they get that guy. He's sort of the kind of guy that puts that class, um, even in, even though they're ranked as high as they are at number three, it, it would have put that class into that sort of star quality and, and maybe sort of that, the bow on the on – the, uh, mm-hmm. so this, which is one of Ohio State's weaknesses. Uh, they have uh, some good cornerbacks and a good safety in this class. So I think they address needs, but it certainly did seem to lack the the normal star power. Uh, well, that's you know really elite five star. They had one. If you're an Ohio State fan, I think they would have liked a couple more. Yeah, you you, you said what I meant to say. Good job, Trey. Jonathan, the team you were very high on last year, after their great recruiting day, um, Ole Miss Rebels finished in two forty seven sixteenth. They had six four-stars, 23 stars. Why does Hugh Freeze take a step back in recruiting this year? Do you think it was because of the, the average performance on the field and losing that Egg Bowl at the end of the year? Oh, yeah, I think that Egg Bowl had huge, huge uh, repercussions when it came to their recruiting. You know, his coaching failures, the, the dud against Alabama, uh, you know, just the coaching failures of Hugh Freeze, Recruits got to see Hugh Freeze as a coach and see that he wasn't ready and he can't handle the limelight right now. He can't handle the pressure. And let's also realize that last year's class was kind of gifted to him. I mean, Treadwell, his best friend in high school was already at Ole Miss. Nimkin Nietzsche's brother, Denzel, was already at Ole Miss. He kind of got handed some of these recruits because a family and friend died. Now, they finished 16th in recruiting, and that's still very impressive for Ole Miss. Let's, let's not try to diminish that, uh, considering that look at their conference they're in, and when's the last time Ole Miss was really relevant to anything other than last year's recruiting cycle. But uh, Hugh Freeze, I think, might be a good recruiter, but some of the recruits probably saw through that car salesman routine where he's expecting the players to carry him more than he will actually lead the players to. And that is a huge problem. These players want to go to a school like Alabama and Florida State, LSU, because not only are the coaches telling you, you guys are going to carry this program, but I'm going to make sure that you guys can carry this program. I'm going to give you all the tools necessary. Where Hugh Freeze, 
you guys carry the program, and I'm just hoping that, you know, you guys really don't drop the ball here because there's not much I can do at this point. <laughs> That's a good point. And, guys, I heard this, and, and I'm not saying this is the truth, but I heard that Hugh Freeze was one of the dirtiest coaches when it comes to recruiting in college football. And I heard he really pissed off some of these bigger coaches in the SEC last year because he was pulling some names in, like stealing them from these guys. And some of the techniques he used were were not so ethical. That's what I'm hearing. And maybe, you know, he backed off a little bit of that. I don't know. But you haven't heard much of Hugh Freeze in the media like you did last year. And I just wanted to bring that one up. And I'm not, I'm not ignoring Alabama, guys. We're about to get to them. You've you got to save the champion of, of the recruiting for last. That's just my opinion. So, Trey, I want, to, I want you to touch on the Kentucky Wildcats, really, coming in at number 22 in recruiting and 247. Uh, this is Kentucky football, not basketball. Six four-stars, 23 three-stars. I'm very, very impressed with what Stoops is doing at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, and Tarvin, after this, I had a question for you uh, before we get to Alabama. But you know, what sort of tips off this class was when they stole Matt Elam from uh, from Alabama? And, and this is one of those classes, Tarvin. It's not as high, obviously, visibility as what we saw in Ole Miss last year. But I'm not really ready to program completely around until I see this more than one year in a row. Because the kind can happen at a school like can and be a complete anomaly, like we're sort of, you know, like we're sorting of Trey, Trey, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're cutting out a lot. You're coming in and out. Yes, that's better. Is that better, buddy? Yeah, that's better. Thank you, sir. Yeah, and so, I mean, class is certainly talented, Tarvin. I mean, they got a lot of four-stars who are going to be able to play pretty soon at Kentucky, uh, and it's certainly something, too, if you're a Kentucky fan, to be very proud of. But I still wonder whether or not this is just an Ole Miss class from last year and, and, and Kentucky falls back down. So, Tarvin, but let me ask you a question, uh, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Why should I be impressed at all with what South Carolina is doing recruiting-wise, given the success they've had, given the fact that they've had you know, a possible number one overall draft pick in, in you know, Clowney, for them right now to be ranked, what, six? on 24-7, I believe, or 24 excuse me, on Rivals. Uh, and, and just, I mean, why can't South Carolina 15th on 24-7, why can't they get into the top 10 in recruiting? Why can't they get a five-star? I think, you know, honestly, I think Steve Spurrier now is a lazy recruiter. And I just don't think, mm-hmm. I think he expects that ego he has, he expects people to come to him, kind of like Tommy mm-hmm. Tuberville was. He, would, he wouldn't get out there and do the work. And if you look at it, he got one player from Alabama, five from Georgia, four from Florida, one from Kansas, Texas. That's it, nine from South Carolina. So they weren't burning up the frequent flyer miles like miles like Coach Lett was at Tennessee. And then I just really think it's hard to sell South Carolina, the location, Columbia. Who wants to go to Columbia, South Carolina? What do you want to do there? Get my mugs? I mean, really, how are you going to sell these kids to come there? There's nothing there. And I think Spurrier <laughs> – I, I just think Spurrier, Spurrier's on the end of his career. He's at that point where he's not going to go out there and kiss these kids' butt. He hates it. Mm-hmm. He actually danced with Lattimore's mother one time, Trey. That's the the biggest stretch I've heard from Steve Spurrier in recruiting. And I think, Jonathan, you can tell me if I'm wrong or Cuervo, but I just think Spurrier's kind of lazy. 
Oh no, you're right. You're you're very very accurate when it comes to Spurrier. He is a lazy recruiter. He sends his brother out to do most of the recruiting for him. His brother, <laughs> son. He sends everybody. He will send everybody to go do recruiting for him, unless it's a Marcus Lattimore or a Jadavian Clowney, because then he will play up to those players. We saw it in college with Jadavian Clowney. He pandered to Clowney. Clowney was allowed to do whatever he wanted because he was Jadavian Clowney. Spurgeon knew exactly what was going to happen. Clowney's going to be the number one overall pick, and he's just hoping players are going to want to come to him. And Spurrier needs to realize that when you get these highly touted uh, recruits, you get guys who are five stars, high-end four stars, they're not going to come crawling to you if they're not South Carolina fans. That's why I think a lot of these coaches fall down is they think, well, I'm Ohio State. All these players should be coming to me. Not exactly. Because kids grow up and they have a favorite college football. And because they resign in the state of Texas doesn't mean they're going to like Ohio State. For all you know, they hate you. So you better come in and change their mind. And that's where, that's where a lot of these coaches are slipping down. They're falling on their face. And Spurrier does it time and time again. He expects all the top recruits to come to him. He still thinks he has a recruiting pipeline in Florida. Well, unless you come to Florida, nobody in Florida gives a crap about you. Most of the kids who grew up Gator fans have learned to dislike you for the way you jettisoned the program. I'm a lazy, lazy, lazy recruiter. Thank you. Cuervo, or do, you, do you agree with Spurrier being lazy, or do you have a different opinion? Well, I think the results show, guys. I mean, you know, you have a team in South Carolina who, you know, they made the SEC championship, what, what was it, two, three years ago? And you're only getting a top, you know, number 15 recruiting class, no five stars, by the way. I mean, that to me equals – yeah, it equals laziness. I mean, there's just some guys that just don't have the work ethic. And like you were talking about, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, and I'm agreeing with everything that everybody is saying because, you know, I'm in the business myself and I know what it takes to go out there and get what you're looking for. And, I mean, if you, if you have to do some traveling, if you've got to, you know, go out of your comfort zone, then that's that's what it's going to take for you to be successful. And I think for Coach Spurrier, like, I mean, the guy's, probably pushing 80 years old or something like that. I mean, he, he's not willing to go out of his comfort zone like he was, you know, 20 years ago when he was coaching at Florida. So, um, you know, like you guys were saying, he, he expects the guys to come to him. And when it's not happening, he's like, well, wait, what's going on here? How come they're not coming to me? Well, it's because you're not going out there and looking for him. And, you know, it's funny because, and I hate to, bring the Super Bowl back up and things like that. But, you know, you talk about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is a guy that was willing to do that. He was willing to go in the, into the bad neighborhoods and, and talk to these kids. I and mean, he wasn't afraid of, oh, I'm going to get shot and, you know, all these, all these <laughs> stereotypes. Like, like, he was willing to go to the bad neighborhoods because he knew what was there. I mean, you find hidden gems in Compton, mm-hmm. California, like Richard Sherman. You'll find guys like that. You just got to go out there and you got to look for them. And, and, and that's what Spurrier's not doing. That's what Dabo Sweeney is not doing. That's what uh, Al Golden at Miami is not doing. And that's why these guys are falling on their face and not having these good classes um, and, and, and you know, selling themselves short when they have good programs that they can, that they can use. Like, look, this is who I represent. I represent the U. I represent the University of South Carolina. I represent – and the University of Texas. I mean, it's it's a big time program. Um, you know, and another thing too is you know, a, a big thing 
what, what Trey was talking about when, when Coach Lett was on was, you know, friends. Friends are a big influence on an 18-year-old kid, guys. You have no idea. I see it every single day. I mean, you may have somebody that, that goes to Auburn, Brian, and somebody that's, that's a sophomore in high school um, you know, you use you use those guys that you recruited two you know two years ago, and tell them, hey, when he's a senior, let him, you know, I, I want to talk to him about coming here to play with you, and you use it. It's a tool. You have to use it. Use it. people that influence you in your life besides just family, and use their friends. Be like, hey, man, your you know your your buddy, he he's here with me, and he's doing well. If you want the same success, you know, you want to come here. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's just like you guys are talking about, it's all about work ethic. You've got to put it in the time. You've got to put it in the effort. And that's why it's the same coaches getting, you know, all the five-star guys, Nick Saban and Les Miles. And, you know, that, and that's why they keep doing well. Well, Trey, I'll ask you. I'll ask you, Trey. I mean, I think, too, South Carolina – there's not too much talent in that state year in and year out, like Florida, Georgia, California, Texas. So you tell me, why do you think South Carolina is struggling with 11-win teams every year to recruit the top talent in America? Yeah, I, mean, I think you you think you hit it on. I mean, the, the program, for some reason, hasn't got itself into national exposure when it comes to recruiting. And the only thing you can think about is, is, is the coaching. Now, Spurrier does still uh, have a pre- – in pipeline in Florida, he flipped a couple of uh, specs in Florida today. But I mean, the thing is, is he's still not drawing in consistent elite talent, and you just saw it again today. Uh, so I mean, I think you're, you guys all—I'm not going to belabor the point, Tarvin, but I agree with you guys. I think there's some sort of disconnect in the coaching staff, uh, and maybe how hard they're working out for these. Well, guys, mm-hmm. I, and I'll st- I want to ask you, Jonathan, and then we're going to move on to Alabama, and all of us will just kind of touch on the tie. They won it. But Michigan State, you know, after winning the Rose Bowl, after winning the Big Ten Championship, just a lot of exposure for this school to end up number 25 on 247. And you know what? They would have been almost number 40 if that had been for today. They made a move. One five-star, three four-stars. Why is it so hard for Michigan State to recruit top ten talent and be there with Ohio State and teams like that when it comes to the Big Ten? Well, Michigan State doesn't have the brand. Let's, let's be honest. One year they, they win the Rose Bowl, and let's, let's hold everybody's horses for a second. What have they done the past ten years? I, you know, Michigan State doesn't have that brand. They don't have that glory to them that Michigan or Ohio State has. Uh, you know, another thing, though, if you look at Michigan State's class, they really recruited their needs extremely well. They wanted to stay in the area. They got the third Bolo brother. Uh, they got the, this number one fullback in the nation, Mr. Owens. Watch this guy. When he starts playing, I was really impressed with this kid. Uh, in high school, you know, I'm a sucker for fullbacks, and you know, I dabbled in the position in high school. But it's just Michigan State doesn't have that brand. You're going to see Southern teams. You're going to see the SEC in the top 25. All 14 teams in the SEC should be in the top 25. You should see Florida State. You should see Clemson, Virginia Tech, because all these schools have better recruiting pipelines. That's what it comes down to: location, location, location. You know, where would you rather go? You'll be on and tell me, would you rather go to USC? Would you rather go to Michigan State? Would you rather go to Texas? Michigan State. 
Would you rather go to, I don't know, let's even Michigan go State. with Georgia or Michigan State. I mean, come on. You don't want to go to any Michigan of these. State. You don't want to go up to the cold. You don't want to go to the cold. Don't lie to me. Who wants to deal with the <laughs> snow and be that close to Detroit? Nobody wants to be that close to Detroit. People who live in Detroit don't want to be in Detroit. Come on now. I mean, the, one, the biggest person Michigan State has to say recruit is Tony Dungy. That, that is their one, their one alumni that is really out there in your face. It's Tony Dungy. I mean, Kirk Cousins now in the NFL, Le'Veon Bell, but their original guy that really should bring you there is Dungy. And Dungy doesn't, you notice, doesn't really help out recruiting as much as one would think. Yeah, that's a good answer. And uh, I think you're right about the brand. They still don't have the brand. They're not – they're not Michigan. You know, Michigan's a different team, even though they weren't very successful. There's always there's a big difference when you're the second school in the state, and I deal with that being an Auburn fan. When you're you're coaching, you're, you're recruiting against Alabama and Nick Saban. And, Trey, I'll start with you on this one. Nick Saban took his anger of losing the Iron Bowl and losing to Oklahoma, and he whipped the entire nation's butt in recruiting. That's how he did it. He opened that checkbook, Trey, and he got what he wanted. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I'm not going to buy any from conspiracy uh, theory one. Uh, I guess here's two points. I'll say that this is possibly the best in the history of, you know, keeping up with recruiting. And then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna caveat with being just very disappointed in, in what Nick Saban did in this class. Uh, one is is Tarvin. You look at all the five and four stars that they got. I mean, it's incredible. Six, uh, five, just ridiculously. Um, Amazing. I mean, the, the talent uh, upon talent uh, in this class is just, I mean, staggering. And we talked about this last year when I think they signed, I think, three or four running backs, five and four stars. And people thought there were going to be some flips in those guys, but they didn't. And I think what you end up seeing is, you know, Alvin Kamara transferring the next year. I think this is the kind of year where if all these guys happen to stay, I'd be very surprised uh, because much talent backlog at some of these positions. But it is a great class, Batarvin. I do want to mention this for, you know, my everyone is, is much valuing uh, what they did. I will say that I'm still very disappointed in them bringing back uh, DJ Pedway, the guy who was involved in the robbery scheme, uh, who is, um, you know, I saw some articles today about how uh, proud they were to bring him back, and it still kind of disappoints me. <laughs> but uh, so we'll bring uh, a tight end from Juco who was involved, who was kicked out of Georgia for some pretty serious stuff as well. So, I just, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering why Nick Saban's sort of going to the well for some of these discipline problems when he's had uh, – he's gotten lucky, you know. He's had a few pretty big ones, and he, but he's gotten lucky. So I wonder why he's going back to the well when he doesn't have to for these guys with problems. Well, Jonathan, looking at Nick Saban today, and like, like Trey said, he brings felons back. He – He's trying to make a point to the country that, that he's still the best recruiter, and you're trying to instill discipline in the program. Guess what? You bring Lane Kiffin in to be your offensive coordinator. How did Saban land this class today, Jonathan? I, I don't understand it. I thought they would take a small step back, meaning maybe a two or a three finishing. But these guys, it's the best recruiting class in history probably. How did they do it with everything that's going bad in Tuscaloosa right now? Back-to-back national championships has a lot to do with that. You know, one year, one, and it's odd to say this, but one down year for Alabama where you know, they wound up losing back-to-back at the end of the year. 
isn't going to hurt their recruiting. Because look at the NFL draft this year and the prospect. They have three three guys who are slated to go in the first round. Uh, how many other teams, how many other colleges can claim that? Notre Dame, maybe. Florida State, maybe. I mean, <laughs> Alabama still has three guys slated to go in the first round. They're still putting guys in the NFL. Whether they succeed or not is irrelevant. They're still putting guys in there. And they're still winning. It's still Alabama. There's a swagger to Alabama. Uh, do they have flash uniforms? No. They don't need them. It's one of those things where Alabama looks at you and goes, we're just going to keep smacking in the face so you finally uh, submit. <laughs> yep. I mean, and I would like to, you know, address what Trey brought up with Mr. Petaway and the tight end from Georgia. I, I don't know if Saban's doing the whole, we're bringing them in, we're bringing them back because everybody deserves a second chance, or if it's more of a statement to everybody else where it's like, you know what? We're Alabama. At this point, I have a firm belief we're pretty damn untouchable. So I don't care what you guys think. I don't care what these kids are doing. But as long as they help us win, I don't care if they're going out and robbing people. And I hope that's not Saban's line of logic, but that's almost the message he's sending us with this with this whole well, bringing Jonathan, back every crook and criminal. Well, Jonathan Trade made a good point several months ago when this happened is he doesn't have a problem with a second chance, but a second chance somewhere else. When you when you physically assault and rob someone on campus and now the, the kid has to come back on campus and see that guy, that's why Trey was, was pointing out last time. It was an excellent point. That's the problem. These kids deserve second chances. You saw Cam Newton get one. He left Florida, went to JUCO, came to Auburn. You saw Nick Marshall leave, go to JUCO, come back to Auburn. It, it's not like they're coming back to the same schools. Auburn would let Michael Dyer come back. You know, he transferred well, no, right away. I understand that. I understand. I understand 100%. But at this point, Saban's bringing in two guys with poor, char- with, you know, poor character uh, added to their name. And I know one of them is getting a real second chance. The other one, you know, as, as we all agree here, you know, Petaway should not be in Alabama. But Saban's also kind of – giving us this image of we'll bring in any crook and criminal as long as they're, as they're going to help us win. It kind of reminds me of Miami in the 80s. It mm-hmm. really does yep. under Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson. That's a good point. Cuervo, what do you what do you think about this Alabama team? I mean, how are all these five stars going to coexist? Because it's not just this class, it's the previous classes. This this team is very talented and very deep. What What's going to happen when these guys are riding the pine for a couple of years? Well, I mean, you know, it's it, it's all about it's all about what you sell. You know, what what is what is Nick what is Nick Saban selling to these guys? Is he saying, hey, just stick with it and and you're going to get your shot at playing for a championship? Like, I, I, what is he money. selling? What, I mean, what you think that's what it is? Two cases of money. <laughs> well, I'll play for Nick Saban then, if that's the case. But I mean, but but do you see the point? I mean, it, I, to me, it's how do you sell that? If you just say, well, yeah, there's a lot of guys, but, hey, you're at Alabama, like, what is that, what is that really giving the kid? That You have to give him a reason to want to be there, even though there's, there's going to be so much talent at that team. And to me, it's just, you know, do you want to win championships? Yeah, I do. Well, this is where you want to be then. For some guys, it's not about – it's not always about – 
getting all the playing time. They just want to be on a winning team. And for, like I said, for some guys it's like that. It's not for everybody, but you know, for some guys it's like that. And and it's just to me, it's it's that's where you know Nick Saban has to sell them on. Yeah, even though you may not get all the playing time, you're gonna you're gonna get to reap the benefits just as much as the guy that you know that is ahead of you. You you know you're gonna be here for the long for the ride as well. So it's just all about how he sells it. Well, guys, it's it's been a great day, and I don't mean to cut us off, but I have to give Florida recruit DJ Law. I think Trey, tell me if I'm wrong, the first recruit ever to sign with three schools in the same day. He sent a letter to Utah. He sent it to Ole Miss. He sent it to Eastern Mississippi Community College. Where's DJ Law going to end up, Trey? Well, I think the way this works, and you know, I, I'm not by no means a compliance attorney for any of these schools, but I think it, oddly enough, I think it's the first per, first school who can prove, like by date, stamp, and time, that they got the letter in first. So I. I think he was Ole Miss in the morning, so maybe he's going to Ole Miss. But, I mean, you got to wonder about the character of a kid who just faxes in federal intent. <laughs> it seems like a I mean, come on. If you had an offer from two Division One schools, <laughs> community college, I mean, I mean I imagine, imagine if you're Eastern, Eastern Mississippi Community College coach, you're sitting over there by the fax machine, and all of a sudden you get this guy. You're – you're probably spilling your coffee or whatever you're putting in your coffee, and you're bragging, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, he's not coming to, you know, my community college here. I mean, this is crazy. Why would a kid do this? Do you think he did it intentional to be funny, or do you think he's just that stupid? I, you know, I, I don't know what else to think other than being a little stupid. I, I don't know. Oh, how Lord. Yeah. It's, it's beyond <laughs> me. I, you think uh, that you've seen crazy stuff with parents taking, you know, the paperwork or not signing it or, you know, whatever, that you kind of expect that now. But I can honestly say that I didn't see this coming. Yeah, is that I mean, stupid? Do you really want them? Exactly. Do you really, if I'm old Miss, if, if you're Hugh Freeze, are you really going to accept this kid? No. Nope. Let him go to Utah. Hell, if I'm Utah, I'm sending him to BYU. That's where I'm sending him. <laughs> hey, Tarvin, no. Tarvin, Nick Saban is offering the scholarship. Uh, figures. Well, the fact the, the fact is on the way. And hey, one question, real quick, before we go. And and I this this kind of was weird. I never felt Evans, the five star linebacker, was going to commit to Auburn. And y'all know this, or some of you do. If I if I talk to you about it, but Trey. Alabama had three off outside linebackers. Evans chooses them with their depth, and he he's from Auburn. His dad played at Auburn, graduated. His mom graduated from Auburn. How in the world did Auburn lose this Evans kid to Alabama? And if you're Evans, why would you want to go play in Tuscaloosa with that kind of talent and depth? Well, you know, this is what we referred to earlier in the show. According according to uh, sources in Alabama, Reuben Foster was actually instrumental in this. Apparently, they're kind of close. Uh, so Reuben Foster, that you know, the, you know, however you want to look at him, the turncoat, whether you're an Auburn fan or you know the you know the savior, or if you're an Alabama fan, but you know, he's guys, Tarvin, he talked about the depth in this class, and I I think at linebacker and then at offensive tackle. 
that you're going to see a lot of guys getting stacked up here at Alabama, and it'll be interesting to see if, if you know, how many of these guys actually finish uh, their their schooling with Alabama because of that depth uh, they do have. Yeah. And you know, I think this is one of those moments, like you know, Coach Lett was talking about, where it came down to you know the not the coaches, uh, but the people actually playing in, in on the team. Well, I wish the kid luck. I'm not going to badmouth him and everything. I hope he has a good career. I just hope he sucks in the Iron Bowl. I'll put it that way. But, guys, thanks for joining me tonight. It's been fun having all this this different dialogue, different opinions. Thanks, Coach Leff, for coming on. Uh, we'll have a show Sunday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll maybe recap some of this stuff. Any other news that comes out, hopefully we'll know where Law signs. We'll, I'm going to go through all the documentation and see where he's going to end up playing. But, guys, Sunday night, join us. Make sure you do. Tell everybody you know we'll be back on. We're going to talk some NBA, college basketball, NFL draft, everything. We're going to start having some more fun. So, guys, thanks for joining us. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday. Maybe even some baseball for some of you baseball lovers out there like Jonathan. So, don't miss. Cuervo, thanks for joining us, buddy. Jonathan, thank you. Trey, great job as always, and we'll see you all Sunday night. Night, guys.